Hey, welcome back, everyone. I uh, want to remind everyone to go to itpro.tv forward slash startup security. Check out our fine friends at itpro.tv. Use the discount code SS30. Try it free for seven days. Get 30% off your monthly membership for the lifetime of your active subscription. And do the supervisor portal. Encourage your employer to purchase a supervisor portal so you and all your fellow coworkers can get access to an awesome library of training. You will be uh, happy that you did that. Provided you can convince your employer. Just tell them that Paul and the gang from Security Weekly sent you. You'll be fine. There you go. I think that's the right answer. <laughs> How about that? So, Michael, lots of really cool uh, startup news oh, this week. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, let me let me start by saying uh, every time, right, this is why we, we bring this up. We'll pull up an article. Oh, IPOs are off. Oh, the tech market's in a slump. Oh, cybersecurity's – yeah, stop. <laughs> yeah. Me, uh, all right, let's let's open up Black Duck. Black Duck. I didn't realize they'd been around since 2002, Paul. Uh, you and I came across them at a conference mm -hmm. uh, just this year, um, and they hand out little Black Ducks, like yeah. little uh, ducks. These guys snapped up by Synopsys. $565 million. Now, since 2002, they've taken on $75.5 million in funding, and Auler estimates them at $55 million in revenue. So $565 million sale, depending on how you cut that. I mean, that's that's good. That's that's a good price, uh, and that's um, that seems like a pretty good exit. What are your thoughts on this? I thought it was interesting. Synopsis um, is, like, listed on Auler as competing with, like, chip companies and stuff. I'm not sure exactly... Yeah. Exactly what Synopsis does, to be quite honest with you. Do you know yep, what they do? I tried figuring. Yeah, I tried wrapping my head around it as well, and um, it it really didn't make a lot of sense in uh, a, a sense to me. Accelerate um, innovation in the global electronics market. Computer integrated systems only, design company. The I, only I thing can see I can think. Play. So it, Go ahead, Michael. Well, no, years first, and then maybe well, I'll sound. Uh, I, Maybe I'll stop because you'll be more intelligent. No, I don't know. About, I don't know about that, but um, I can see that if Synopsys is helping companies design electronics and there's a software aspect to it, that Black Duck would play very nicely in that. That as you design a system and the software that goes in that system, you can make sure it doesn't have vulnerabilities, especially ones that are known, because IoT devices or embedded computers, as we used to call them, tend to borrow a lot of libraries from. Uh, there you go. You know, share a lot of libraries, and so if that one's vulnerable, you can make sure it's not in in the chain. But to pay five hundred and uh, plus million dollars for a company that maybe you're just going to integrate into your offering, I'm thinking that they're going to leave them selling in the enterprise uh, after I saw the sale price. It wasn't a close well, out might. sale. I mean, so like if they got a bargain, I mean they might do both, right? But they're I, they're not going to take. Do, out yeah, that definitely enterprise. does yeah. not feel like that was an aqua hire. That doesn't feel right. like uh, it was a fire sale or things were bad for them. But you know what's interesting is it, so I'm looking at this uh, Xconomy article and it says, all right, founded in 1986, Synopsys helps design and test silicon chips, and also works in application security testing. But one of the other things that I think is interesting, and I think what you hit on is exactly the direction I was going to go. We're starting to see now where the the chip manufacturers, I mean, we just talked about the IoT platform that ARM's advancing, mm -hmm. that they, they kind of look at it now and they go, oh, there's got to be a different way to do it. Oh, and you know what? In fact, if you, if you think back, this we covered this on, on uh, Hack Naked this week, um, we're going to not just give you the models and we'll give you the code, we'll give you the threat models and analysis on it, we'll give you the best practices, we're going to show you how to do it better. So I could see now a play where if you're helping people do chip design, the, the chips now 
if you think about this, I mean, we talked, and you and I have had lots of great conversations with people who looked at stuff that in the 70s and 80s they wanted to do, but our processor power, our memory, our, our network speeds, they just weren't there. A lot of stuff in the late 90s, when I got started in this, that, that was, it sounded good, we tried it, but the reality is it didn't work well. And now, 20 years later, 25 years later, we're seeing that work. Why? What's changed? I can offload a bunch of different stuff on the chip. I can do all these different things. We're building like the, the Apple's got the Enclave. Um, and then uh, I've already forgot what Intel's is called, but everybody's got like these different types of processors and coprocessors and security modules and all sorts of other stuff on it. So if you're in the business of being able to test that and to automate that testing and to speed that to market, that's really cool. And, you know, for a company that generated two and a half billion dollars of revenue or almost two and a half billion dollars of revenue by 65 million, I mean, it's, it's big price. But this might see a big chunk of the business. So I'm going to be really curious, as you pointed out, does this now move them into the enterprise play? Or does this potentially give them an advantage in the, the embedded devices now called the IoT market? So I think it's interesting, but it, it's, a, it's a successful exit. It's, and that's, a, you know, so here's a company that they've been around since 2002. Uh, we talk about category kings in, in that book. They talk about successful exits are typically within the 6 to 10-year range. Well, we're at the 15-year range. But, man, it, it looks good across the board for them. Mm -hmm. WatchGuard, WatchGuard makes an IPO. That's cool. Remember when their box used to be, they had the black, they were red. They came yeah. like WatchGuard was different because their, their boxes, instead of just being blinky lights, they were, they were red, red cases. Right. So I thought this was interesting because it was WatchGuard falls for the IPO. So I went, I looked at it, I went, okay, so I, I get that WatchGuard's still around. But wait, they're filing for an IPO now? Well, they did. They filed for an IPO. They IPO'd hmm. in 1999, which kind of matched. The, like, it wasn't like I tracked it. I went, didn't they IPO before? But I was like, that seems weird. They were delisted in 2006. So this is essentially an IPO again. Mm -hmm. Now, what's interesting then is that when you go dig into it, they've got private equity money in it. So one of the things we talk about a lot is that you can have venture capital and private equity. You can have both. There's uh, now the ICOs, the initial coin offerings. There's all sorts of other strategies, and that's what we always keep looking at here. So, uh, you know, don't call it a comeback, but WatchGuard is uh, putting themselves back on the market uh, with an IPO, and they're doing a unified threat management stuff. Um, you know, I, I've always got the sense that they're they're kind of an SMB play, but yep. this is a space I know for a while you looked at. Is that about about right? Mm-hmm. Well, and I think some of the SMB are probably trying to dabble in what I'm hearing this year being called the small enterprise, right? And I think that can take many shapes and forms as well. That's interesting. That just feels like somebody in marketing trying to confuse me, but maybe yeah. there's merit to it. Do you maybe like it? Something between, well, I mean, maybe there's something between mid-market and enterprise. They call it small enterprise. I think it's just further market segmentation. Yeah, and that's not necessarily bad. Uh, yeah, because it course. lets them grow their product line, but they don't have to grow their product line to put it, you know, drop it in and compete with Cisco in a Fortune 1000 or Fortune 2000. Yep. They can yep. scale it back and say, well, it's a small enterprise, which I, I think I, I don't think it's marketing. I think I, I like that strategy. Uh, oh, okay. Now that you're talking the truth with me, so what you're saying is I need enterprise-grade management and enterprise-grade application, right. but I'm not a Fortune 2000, so I don't need all the bells and whistles, everything else. It needs to be able to work, mm -hmm. but, but I'm also – you're probably not my sole source provider. So right. I might not have my 50 vendors. I might have 5 to 10. You need to play nice. And you, you need to be a part of my solution because I'm I'm getting there, baby, growing mm -hmm. bigger. All right, right, I like it. SailPoint, hundred million dollar IPO, or at least that's what they've they've listed. They've taken on roughly two twenty six million dollars in funding since two thousand five. So again, so here we are, twelve years later. Um, 
they are if they are not the category king they're certainly up there i know uh cyber arc is a competitor cyber arc is uh definitely up there if they're not the category king somebody is uh i mean when we look at identity there's a lot in uh you know as we talk with jonathan sander a lot who's if he's listening today he's probably just cringing at what i just said um seriously take that webinar he's one of the smartest people i've ever met uh identity is 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 a big field here's the point it's hot and it's going to stay hot so um, congratulations uh, to SailPoint for, for the plans for their IPO. And uh, we're going to watch how that goes. I think what bodes well for them, Forescout. So we talked about them a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And on their first day of trading, they were up, I think uh, it was about 16%. So uh, that's really good. I mean, you know, you'll see a lot of people like uh, recently Snap, um, right? They ended down in trading. And that basically says, look, you overpriced it. Uh, you didn't do as well as you wanted. Um, Forescout actually did really well. They raised about $116 million. They sold 5.3 million shares. But here's the quote that I pulled because I thought it was really interesting. Forescout had $167 million in sales last year compared to $126 million for 2015. That's great. But losses grew to 75 million last year, up from 27 million in 2015. So your losses so basically losses, losses is in they lost customers. Customers didn't resign. Well, typically, what that means is if you're looking at your losses, it might be that uh, you had new liabilities. Like there's a lot, a lot of things that come into the losses. You. And to be fair, I didn't dig into this, uh, mm. and I, I could have. So I, I'm I'm now slightly yeah, they're, surprised they're public I didn't. Now, yeah, if they're public now, we have all the information available to us, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and they they had to disclose that. Now they mm-hmm. remember they did kind of like a a clandestine IPO. There's there's a way that they that they were able to do it both quicker and a little bit quieter. Mm-hmm. But if your losses are growing, what that means is that you're not making as much money. So so like typically what'll happen is they'll say, look at that. We, you know, we we jumped our revenue up by not quite 50%, like 40%. And but then you have to say, okay, well, and and what kind of losses? So maybe Paul, when we look at the contribution margin, they were flying more a bigger sales team or they were making mm-hmm. a better deal. Or so so you may find that actually Customers renewed, but they knew they were getting ready for an IPO, mm-hmm. so they offered them a sweetheart deal. Yeah. And I don't, I don't look. I, I'm not knocking Forescout on this, but this is Mm-mm. something I see a lot no. in, in these big vendors: is that they walk in and, and they they start out. It's kind of like buying an RV or a car. You're not going to pay MSRP. So I come in and I say, "Look, we sell you this. It's 100 bucks a seat, but I can drop it to 60." That's your opening position. By the way, if you do that, please stop. Just have some value. Go mm-hmm. in. I mean, why was it priced at a hundred? Like, let's stop the games. But that's that's what like when I'm reading this, you 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 increase your sales by forty percent, but you tripled your your losses grew by three hundred percent. Okay, that tells me that you were getting ready. You were making all this stuff work. Now, here's the thing that I think is interesting. We are on a path towards profitability, uh, said the, the the CEO. One of the things I have learned looking at this is that there are certain models where you're doing subscription-based work and, and Forescout's trying to position itself as an Internet of Things security company, it is quite possible that they've made a series of investments and in, in one-time charges and a bunch of capital costs to launch new services or, or reconfigure yeah, the way that they do that, stuff. If that pivot to cost. IO- yeah. But is that pivot to IoT on the flip side of that, Michael? Is that just they're changing their messaging? Their technology is still the same, but their messaging is just saying IoT. Because it's still... It's still knack, dude. Like it's still well, I was gonna authenticating say, one of the, devices one of the, to the network. They're just like, oh, when your IoT stuff comes on the network, we can help you with that too. And they didn't really have to make a huge technology investment to claim in their messaging that we help with IoT. And oh, by the way, I'm seeing well, this so, trend of companies that are saying they're in one space and pivoting now into IoT. I think it's risky. I think there are players out there that uh, will do it and do it very well. 
but I think some are going to fail because they jumped on the IoT bandwagon. Yeah, I don't, I don't I, think Four Scout's going to fail. Uh, just I think you said it well, and I'm going to be really curious to see where it goes. And and we are going to now pay attention to how how they continue to do uh, and where it goes. I, you know, look, as you and I talk about all the time, you know, we're an IoT security company. Cool. What problem do you solve? IoT security. I don't uh, even know what that means. What is that? Right. So we'll see where it goes. All right, Booz Allen. They acquired Morphic. Morphic cybersecurity platform offers managed detection, incident response, threat intelligence, reverse engineering for enterprises. On record, they got about $10 million in funding. That was just a Series A, September 2015. Now, something I know you've got some thoughts on this. It was undisclosed. That typically, to me, signals maybe not as good an exit as everybody wanted. And you're, the, the general guidance is your funding round should last you two years. Doesn't always, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a number of cases where very good reasons why it doesn't, and there's a number of very uh, bad reasons why it doesn't, and there's a, it's just a bunch of stuff. There's there's no science to this. Actually, there probably is, but so uh, here we are, two years later. Basically, if they did it right, they're about to run out of cash. So either they get yeah. acquired, they get another round. They got acquired, but nobody wanted to talk about the deals, and they got acquired by a pretty large government contractor. Yeah. Thoughts? Well, so what I think is interesting about this one, and here's my crazy theory, Michael, which I think is kind of fun. And I, I don't mean any any harm or I'm not knocking either of these two companies because they, in all likelihood, could be really awesome companies. Uh, I thought it was interesting that a services company took $10 million in funding. Everything I read, Morphic was a, a services company, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's pretty risky taking $10 million if you're – I mean, so you got to have some good things in the pipeline – uh, to recoup that investment for your investor. And one of the things that they did, so they took their Series A in September 2015. In around the same time, about a year later in 2016, they got officially approved as an NSA contractor, at which time uh, I'm thinking they started competing with Booz Allen. Uh, and mm-hmm. a year after that, Booz Allen goes, you know what, we're just going to buy you. <laughs> Yep, that, that was just my take on it. Just from reading the you know the news that surrounds it, it very well could have happened completely different. Um, it could have been a very, uh, even though it was undisclosed, um, Michael, it could have been a great deal for both for both parties, right? They could have been working yeah, together. Yeah, that's something we talked I mean, about. They're both NSA contractors. Yeah. They, maybe they were working together on stuff, and they're just like, hey, you know what? It makes sense to to sell. And I, I think it's a really good point because when you look at the way that right, and, and you've clearly been exposed to it, there's primes, there's subprimes. It's a it's a myriad of stuff. Then to be able to work at the agency and get stuff done there. I mean, obviously we've we've got uh, friends of the family uh, here that mm-hmm. that have a lot more experience in that than you and I do. Lots of neat stuff happening there. And so, yes, I think what you laid out makes sense. And by the way, there are a lot of times it makes sense not to disclose the terms right. because there's other companies. You don't want them to know what you're doing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Totally makes sense. I'm still going to stick with if it's undisclosed, it's probably more of a, hey, how about we just all work together? And it yeah. could be a good deal for everybody, right. but it, it didn't create any new value. All right. Biologic. All right. So I, I don't know if you had a chance to take a look at this yet. Um, I'm going to just go out and say it. So uh, – is it Intazer? Is that how you would no say idea. that? Intazer is how I Israeli, would say it. Israeli startup, $8 million Series A. Cybersecurity company specializes in offering biological immune system-based malware analysis and detection to address threats. Feels a lot like our good friends at Minerva to a certain extent, mm-hmm. um, at least based on that description. And I went to their website, and it was kind of like, oh, that's, that's interesting. What they're basically saying, if I got it right, was uh, we're going to help you with malware uh, analysis and detection but we're going to do it more like an immune system. So I, we're going to I, learn from biology, and we're going to apply it to what we're doing here. Which I hate that analogy for so many reasons anyway. 
I think it opens you up to a lot of uh, derision and a lot of confusion. Um, I think you've got to tell that story really tight to make it work. Mm -hmm. And when I looked over their website, I went, well, hmm. But an $8 million Series A is not laughable. That is a big ask. So either – and they had a $2 million seed round. So either they've got some big pockets and they're they're doing some pretty awesome stuff and they're going to hit it hard or – I don't actually even know the or like yeah. I, that's just that's yeah. interesting to me. So no B4 30 million dollar series B round. Uh, I tend not to talk very often about security awareness companies. If you call it security awareness training, you make me want to bash my head into a wall. There's awareness and there's training. You can have security awareness and you can have security training. Security awareness training would be training me to be uh, how to be. I don't even like I just it's it's it's. Every time I bring this up, somebody wants to sit me down and say, but Michael, that's just how our industry is. Right. This is why nobody pays attention to it, except for $30 million Series B. So they've been in business for a long time. They're not they're not new. Stu's been doing this for a while. Mm-hmm. I know some of the folks on this team I really respect. So so I, I like the people. Uh, $8 million Series A, so that's a huge open. Uh, then they did a $5.2 million equity round about a year later in February of 2017. And they just added $30 million in a Series B. That's a huge Series B. And typically in a Series B, you're, you're ending your early stage round of funding. So that what that means is your product market fit should about be right. You got your yep. team in place. You understand how you're going to market. You understand what you're selling. And you're ready to get into growth mode. And, and based on how long they've been around and what they're doing, I mean, I, I, I'll probably just make a phone call or two and, and maybe we'll try to follow up on this. My take on this is that's a pretty big round because I feel that they're mature enough that they're probably moving in the growth mode. Like that almost feels like a growth mode round, not yeah. a, not a, well, Hey, I think we're going to get it figured out. I, despite um, not separating awareness and training, which is all likelihood, just a, a marketing and messaging thing. Uh, the, the problem they solve and the solution is pretty straightforward, right? It's a problem that every enterprise, every business has. My users get tricked with email phishing attacks. We can help yep. with that problem. And yep. everyone has that problem. Everyone needs to solve that problem. It's still it's a growing problem today. Hence, I think they're moving into growth mode uh, and taking uh, thirty million Series B makes total sense. If I mean, if their solution yeah. works, and it, obviously it, it must, they must have a pretty good customer base uh, to to jump to that Series B. Yeah, and so uh, so definitely people to pay attention to. Last uh, of uh, of the busy week, recorded future twenty five million dollars Series E. So this is interesting. So that's a, that's a big. I mean, when you're into your Series E, I mean, that, your growth stage, like that, basically means you got it dialed in, baby. You're you're just you're growing, mm-hmm. and you're looking for some sort of an exit. Either you're gonna pop and get an IPO, right? So by the way, SailPoint only took on twenty six million dollars of funding over the last twelve years, and they just filed for a hundred million dollar IPO. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Recorded Future took on twenty five million dollars of Series E. That's not huge for a growth mode. I mean, if you go look at some of these, you know, tech unicorns, their their Series E are like hundred million dollar rounds. Twenty five million dollars, it's not sneezable. That's that's a good chunk of change. But since two thousand and nine, they've only raised fifty seven point nine million dollars. So here's what I like about this: that makes them still ripe for an acquisition. You, mm-hmm. you, they did not price themselves out of a marketplace. Right. I didn't I didn't look at 
and, and I didn't try to calculate out any of the valuations on the company. And I, I yeah. wish I was connected enough. I could make a couple phone calls and tell us, but we're not there yet. Give us another year. The show will be your go-to resource for that. But I think it's interesting. I think it's, um, I think it's one of these fields where you talk about threat intelligence and now you're talking about, well, is it threat intelligence or is it risk intelligence? And what does it mean to be intelligence and how does it help an operator? And is it helping our socks? Um, you know, recorded future is, is one of the companies that's kind of hanging in there. Um, we've talked about some others that it's kind of like, so are you a threat tell company or are you an endpoint company or are you a sock automation company or are you yeah. or whatever no, else? I think they're pivoting outside of the threat intelligence uh, market for sure. And they've got some interesting technology uh, that I saw at Black Hat that makes me think they put a lot into research and development and could be that the the E round, a lot of that's going to go to sales and marketing to, to push them into the, uh, to getting a larger into that, market share. Into that yeah. next jump. Yep. Yep. I, I just tell you what, they uh, they were very kind about a year ago. They took me through a demo, and I came away thoroughly impressed. Yeah, me too. Uh, you know, yeah. and, and they're the folks on that, that deep web stuff. And so they said, well, here. And, and what I really liked was uh, the folks that I talked to, they were able to tell me really quickly the problem that they solved. And they said, here, let me show you a demo. Let me, let me give you an account. Let me walk you through it. And, you know, it was one of those things where I went, wow, I could totally see how the more you understood your business, the more you could set this up and, and really uh, drag some stuff through it. So, I mean, I was kind of impressed with what I saw. So congratulations to them. I mean, everybody here, I mean, you know, I think you and I are going to tell it like it is um, always. Uh, it's in our DNA. But, you know, this represents a lot of good stuff happening in the security industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we just talked about all the good things that can happen in the security community. In terms of our updates, and, and where we're heading. I've already I've been so excited I couldn't stop it. Uh, so the new workshop is launched, and I've gone out, and uh, we started working on uh, folks a couple times. You know, here's the interesting thing, Paul. We've talked consistently now for the last year and a half. When we look at these stories, and we keep saying to people, pick one thing, pick your niche, pick your one thing, get really good at that. I think people have heard me talk before about the distinction between knowing of something and actually knowing it. It's that, oh, I'm familiar with that versus having the competence in it. Uh, I'm guilty of that, too, because I've known for the better part of a decade, 12 years, 15 years, the sooner you find a niche and get really good at it, the better everything will be around it. And I've always said, yeah, 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 I totally want to do that. Oh, but I'm also going to do this and this and this and this. But look, I'll pretend that they're all connected. What's happened is people have asked me for a way to make it work. And and without getting too deep into it for here, but if anybody's interested, happy to talk to them. I figured out a way, Paul, to get people invited ahead of time. And when we do it, it's called a workshop. It's not training. We're actually working through an issue. Now, do we do training? Of course, I interleave the training. I can give the training to people ahead of time so they can they can read it, they can see it, they can touch it, they can taste it, they can try it. So when we're together and we're working through it, we're really helping them solve a problem, but using some different mental models and using some different systems and, and using the straight talk framework approach to solve the value proposition. We call it identifying the value proposition. And what I looked at were the biggest challenges that I, I came up with teams over the last two or three years. But here's what I'm finding, Paul. I'm getting more excited, not less. And and the more I get done with it, the more I see, like, I, I, there's so much more that we can do with just this one workshop. The more I talk about it, the more people get excited about it. The easier it is to explain to them the things that we're putting together. The easier it is to do the prep work. The easier it is to go through it. And here's the beauty. No two workshops are the same because you're going to have a different team. Even if you have the same team, you're going to have a different problem. Your understanding is going to be different. Paul, I... I'm on fire. Like, I'm so excited about it. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, that c- carries over. So I've talked to a number of people who, who I talked to over the summer, and they said, wow, this makes so much more sense. Okay, so let me get something scheduled with you. I get it now. I understand it now. You sound so excited about it, Michael. This is going to be great. But then you go and you work with the teams, and it is great. 
watching people solve problems and figure stuff out and realize why they got stuck. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you ask me how I'm doing, I'm good. Now, that came at the, I've been promising everybody updates to the Straight Talk framework. Okay, that's not done yet. Uh, and I've been promising people updates to the website. And on the website, we're going to have a new resource on identifying the value proposition. Now, that's done, except for the website's not done. I've been using that in uh, the workshop, getting great feedback on it. So I'm going to take some of those pieces. We're going to put them on the website. Anybody shortly will be able to sign up for that. Some of you have sent me really polite messages saying, hey, you took down the sign up and the straight talk stuff. Yes, it's all coming back. Um, Chances are, uh, so I got a workshop next week. Week after that, so between there and like around Thanksgiving timeframe, if you're here in the U.S., basically November, looking to do uh, the website and between November, end of the year, work on getting an updated version of the Straight Talk framework together, but we'll have the value prop stuff done first. And then I'm really just, you know, somebody asked me the other day, Paul, what are the ways to work with you? And classically, you know, you would say, well, I can do speaking and training and I can do consulting and we can do coaching and whatever else. Yeah, I'm pretty much down to this workshop is the right way to do it. And Mm -hmm. and once you've had that experience with me, uh, I have an executive coaching program for both individuals and teams, and we have some uh, different advisory services we can offer people. It really turns out, though, that the teams that go through this just today with me, totally different experience. Uh, so I feel like when you say, like, how's our journey? Paul, it's coming together. It's it's, And I'm getting time now to focus on it deeply. So I'm seeing the connections. I mean, I have so much that I want to write about, so much I want to do, so much I want to explore. Uh, and, of course, it's all going to benefit what we're doing here. So I, I, my journey is I'm on a good place, uh, and, and I'm on a good roll, so I'm enjoying it. How about you, man? Uh, things are going really well. We've got some uh, some awesome conversations that are happening that I, I can't really disclose publicly yet. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it, it ties to just constantly working on our, our MVP uh, messaging, go-to-market strategy, uh, and how that's evolving and changing over time or not. And really, that's what it comes down to. So uh, I will provide more details as they become available. How about that? I, I like it. It's uh, You're teasing us. That's uh, right. So I, it's a tease. I'm going to have to stay tuned. Yeah, I like and you'll it. be here in studio next week. I was wondering if we were going to tell yes, people or not, but I'm yes, so my excited. workshop is in Boston. And so uh, so we've worked it out. I'm going to head there, and I think people might even get a chance to see me on a couple shows. I'm going to get back to Security Weekly because I won't have to worry about the kids. <laughs> and gonna, um, It's going to be so awesome. I'm, You're going to be, be li- you'll be in live studio. studio for the first time. We've never first done time. a live podcast gonna, together. You have not. In so it's uh, it's going to be, be awesome. a week of first. It's going to be a good week. I'm, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, and that's going to give us a chance to, you know, because you and I always joke. People always say, oh, you guys, you must talk to each other all the time. Uh, not as much as we want. But next week, we're going to get some time. And we're going to, we're going to, we've got a bunch of ideas. Are you going to smoke cigars? Sometimes... Are you going to smoke cigars when you come here? Are we both going to be having a cigar during Startup Security Week? Yeah. You that's going to be epic. It's been a while. That's gonna be you epic. have to help me pace myself. I will. I've, uh... I'm, the, I'm your coach yeah. in the cigar smoking extravaganza Perfect. that will happen. Well, then, yeah, I'm on board. So, yeah, we're going to brainstorm long, some ideas for next year. You'll be fine as long as you don't drink an stuff. entire bottle of wine, like apparently you're known for now or something. I may, I, I may, have, uh, <laughs> I may have not paced myself very well the other day on an empty stomach and reminded myself oh, that in your 40s, you don't feel like you're in your 20s. It hurts. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening and watching this edition of Startup Security Weekly. See you next week. We'll both be live in studio, so stay tuned. 